listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. I am joined today by Yev Poussin. Yev is the Senior Director of Marketing at Backblaze. Yev, welcome to the program. Thank you, Heather. Pleasure to be here. So, Yev, we were just discussing how long you've been buying podcast ads. I've been in business for eight years, and you've been buying podcast ads for longer than that. So you've (laughs) been buying podcast advertising for quite a long time. Yeah, 2013, I think, is when I had my first kind of foray into it. And so I guess this is my, what, 10-year anniversary? Yeah, that's impressive. Well, congratulations. Before we get too much into that, though, why don't you tell us a little bit about your company and what exactly you guys do? Yeah, Backblaze is a publicly traded company. Very proud of that. We have customers in over 175 countries. We are helping over 500,000 customers store, protect, and use their data. We're on a mission to make storing and using data astonishingly easy. And that is basically our company charter. So we have two product lines. We have uh, computer backup. That's the product line I'm responsible for. And then we have B2 Cloud Storage, which is a more developer-friendly, API-driven cloud storage platform. So competing with some of the bigger fellas in the space. I was thinking the other day as my iPhone was telling me yet again that I needed to buy more cloud storage. I was like, so at what point does all of all of these photos and all of this data just get kicked off and like just not exist? Because there's got to be some endpoint to how much digital data we can store, right? There's no end point. So I think it's up to companies like ours to make more space as people okay. are making data. So that, that's, that, that's the part of the mission statement, right, is make it easy for individuals and organizations to store, use and protect their data. So if you make the data, whether it's taking pictures on your phone or data generation, like, you know, you're making podcasts, you're making videos, <laughs> right? There's a ton of data involved there. We will store all of it. So back when we were Primarily in the computer backup business, we would have an internal joke, which was whenever one of our customers would buy a hard drive, we would also have to buy a hard drive (laughs) to back up all the data because we we back up an unlimited amount of data from a person's computer on the computer backup side of the business. And so it it was kind of a one to one relationship. The more data you had, the more data we had to have in our data center to store all of it. Luckily, we have economies of scale on our side. And so, you know, we're able to do it relatively affordably. But with B2 Cloud Storage, Actually, that, that is one of the primary growth vectors for us. We have a lot of media companies that actually use us to, to store their data and also start manipulating it, especially companies that do a lot of video processing and image processing. So it, that, that is the name of the game, storing, yeah. storing all of the stuff. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And it's crazy how much stuff we can all acquire, right? Both physical and data. I don't know about you. I have a new nephew or he's a year and a half old now, but you take 11 pictures and they're all basically the same thing and you don't want to delete any single one of them because they're all special and in their own little way. And so my my family has a hard time curating all of the content. But yeah, you just think about all the pictures that you're creating on a daily basis uh, and all the media, right? So you have mm-hmm. like companies like Netflix, Amazon Prime, and like a bunch of these organizations that are churning out more and more and more TV shows kind of on a on a monthly basis almost. And so that data has to live somewhere. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. So going back to podcast advertising, at what 
point did you decide, hey, this seems like it could be a good fit for us? And what was it about podcast advertising that really appealed to you? Yeah, I have to, again, thinking back to 2013, I'm like, okay, where were we in the company life cycle? Like, I'm trying to put a time machine in my brain, so to speak. But I think I was starting to listen to a lot of podcasts at the time. Mm. 2013 was when they started to take off in the mainstream. I think Serial was already around for one season, but they hadn't gone Mm -hmm. to season two yet. But everyone was talking about it. I got into uh, a lot of podcasts by Kevin Smith, the director. He has, I think he would say that he has the gift of gab. And so he has kind of a podcast network that he's built up over the years. But in the early days, I was starting to listen to his stuff. And one of the things that I that I realized was not a lot of folks are advertising on these. Like it was still in the early days. Oh, yeah. And so like Serial is a good example. You heard the MailChimp ads and then everyone was like, wait, OK, what is that? I, I don't know if you if you recall that story, but they were doing uh, person on the street interviews as part of the MailChimp sponsorship of Serial. Uh-huh. And one person really sweetly or adorably or endearingly said MailChimp. Like, uh, and so they ran with it. And I was like, that's so funny. And we have a weird name, Blaze. And I'm like, in people's ears is a great place to be. And there's a little bit of a disconnect because our service is for computers, uh, or at least right. at the time, it was computer backup. And so we we needed to find a way to get in people's mind and have them like think about backup, but not necessarily like go from their phone to download the application because we would have to wait for them to get on their computer. And so we were thinking through this and we're like, look, if we just view it as a branding exercise and just get people more familiarized with the name and what we do. And so that's where we started dipping our toe a little bit. And I remember the early conversations we we had were about Mac focused shows. So the yeah. Mac enthusiasts were were huge at the time and still are. And that was where we dipped our toe originally because we saw that the majority of our usage, we back up Macs and Windows computers, but we it was always a little bit more outsized on the Mac side. There's mm-hmm. a few more percentage points of Mac users than on Windows. And we always thought that would be interesting. And then when we thought about it, we're like, oh, well, it's because anytime you plug in an external hard drive into your Mac, your Mac goes, hey, do you want to back this up with Time Machine? And we're like, we're the Time Machine in the cloud, so... That makes sense, actually, that they're already thinking about it. Mm. And so that kind of helps guide some of our early thinking of like where to dip our toe and, and what to start advertising with. Over time, we've we've branched out and we've gone to a lot of different places. And now we have ROI models and et cetera, et cetera, based on most, well, yeah, 13 or 11 years of all that data gathering. Mm-hmm. Great, great. No, that's terrific. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And I mean, gosh, your service, I'm sure, really did attract that early adopter and podcasts at that time certainly were early adopter based. But I'm curious, like fast forwarding to today, how has the approach changed? And I guess I'm I'm also really curious what percentage of your ad dollars are being dedicated to podcast ads as opposed to other forms of advertising you may do. Yeah, it's a great question. So clearly the world has changed since 2013. We have a whole new product line that we're that we're really excited about. And that is becoming the primary focus of Backblaze is the cloud storage side. Now, one of the things that I found over over the years of being a podcast enthusiast and an avid listener is that there's not a lot of SaaS or enterprise level companies that are advertising on a variety of shows. They do exist. Sometimes you'll hear Oracle or Microsoft Azure do some uh, some advertising, but it really is brand building. 
it's less kind of direct response. And for us on the computer backup side, we were always very much direct response driven. So because we were a bootstrapped organization for every dollar that I spent, I had to get that same dollar back. We were back in the day, we were willing to spend one year's worth of license revenue to attract a customer. So that the way that the math broke down back in the early days was if I spent, let's say $50, I would need to get $50 back. So about one customer at the time. And then by year two and a half, we would have paid off the ad and we would have paid off the cost of like running the service. And so by year three and four, that would be a revenue making endeavor. And we have really high retention rates on the computer backup service. And so that, that, felt, worth, for, that felt worthwhile. And so that was kind of the genesis of, of kind of the, the, the monetary thinking at the beginning. Over time, podcasts have changed and podcast technology has changed. So I'm, I'm still, I'm having to adjust with the times, but just to give you an idea, back in the day, you can guarantee a long tail for a lot of the podcast advertising, right? There was no dynamic insertion. There was, none of the podcast technology had yet taken off. And so from the advertiser's perspective, it was a lot more lucrative because I could know that like, hey, I, I put this in an ad, like in a podcast, no matter when it gets downloaded, it'll be baked in, it'll be right there. And we would see that in the data. We would get an initial spike in month one, let's say, but then you know, it would be like a steady heartbeat afterwards. Now it's different. So dynamic insertion makes it a little bit more like terrestrial radio. Mm -hmm. And so the return on investment has diminished over time. It's still worth it. We're still doing it in some cases, but we have to be a lot more judicious about which shows we choose and whether they're going to have kind of the ROI that we want. And we still take the direct response approach. So we don't view it as a brand building exercise like we did in the beginning. Okay, um, good. I was going to ask you about that. So you don't view it as brand building. So now you really anymore. are looking at direct response. That, that's right. So mm -hmm. in the beginning, the hypothesis was like, okay, well, even if no one buys, at least we'll get in their head and maybe right. we'll get some organic growth. But what we found was like, no, 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 people are actually going to the website and they're going to our dedicated landing pages and they're signing up and we're able to track all of it. And so we were like, great. Okay. Like, well, let's actually use this as a, as a direct, as a direct response vehicle. And so over time, we got very, very efficient at doing so. And then once the technology started to change a little. Or a so lot. Or a lot. Uh, you know, those efficiencies <laughs> went away. But having worked with a lot of podcasting networks and over the over those years, I, I absolutely understand like why that telemetry and the dynamic insertion makes absolute sense for them. And it also makes sense for a lot of advertisers that are not doing direct response. Right. You can imagine that if you're if you're targeting a holiday of some kind or a, like a geographic location and you're trying to be very, very, very targeted, the dynamic insertion is a great benefit, right? It's like kind of like running Google ads or Facebook ads or meta ads, right? For me, though, everyone needs cloud backup uh, and computer backup. And so it, I'm a little bit more wider in my scope. And so it is still dynamic. The dynamic insertion has, has put a damper on it a little bit, but we're, we're still able to, to make, make it work. And so you were, the, the follow-up question was, what percentage of, the, of our ad spend is spent on it. Um, the answer is not one that I can recall off the top of my head, but it's not a, it's not a very large percentage, mm -hmm. primarily because strategically the company is very focused on growing the B2 cloud storage business. Mm -hmm. We have had a lot of computer backup enhancements over the last couple of years, including we just released an enterprise version, enterprise control for computer backup. So we're still developing for it and we're looking for new markets, but a lot of those markets aren't typically found in the podcast listener set. Sometimes the decision makers will be listening to podcasts, but then it does touch on the brand building 
versus the direct response. And so right now, we don't have a ton of brand advertising dollars that we spend kind of company-wide. We do have some. We have a lot of kind of like brand building initiatives that we're doing, but very few of them are in the sponsorship side. So YouTube and, and podcasts, those still tend to be direct response in our way of thinking. And so the the number is not very high, but it's still it, it's still quite substantial, um, okay. has increased over the years. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So when we think about the way that you're going about structuring your campaigns, I know that when you've worked with True Native that you've done a lot of test campaigns to see if shows work well for you. What is your approach to podcast ads? Do you test and then buy longer campaigns? What does that look like? Typically, yeah. So um, as we've had to build this efficiency muscle, we tend to dip our toe a little bit, do a little bit of testing. And then if we see positive response, we we tend to to deploy more capital and, and build entire campaigns around it. And so thinking or taking a step back and thinking through it from an ROI perspective, would I prefer to spend, I'm going to throw some numbers out just as a hypothesis, like $50,000 on one show to test or $10,000 on five shows to test or $5,000 on 10 shows to test. So my kind of my my appetites is is more in the five to 10 show range because we can test new audiences, new segments, new voices on the podcast side and YouTube and and other mediums are the same. And then from there, we can say like, hey, there's an avenue here where we think some repetition would be good. Let's go redouble our efforts. And so I, I tend to go wide and then deep versus, mm -hmm. you know, hey, like, let's say let, let's spend, I don't know, 50 percent of our overall budget on one big bet. That, that tends not to be how, how I handle the, the experimentation side. And so you'll, you'll see us do a lot of onesie twosie tests here and there, especially if it's a new channel for us or a new kind of audience target. Mm -hmm. Then from there, we'll say, hey, we're able to track a lot of landings and conversions and hopefully purchases from trial to conversion. And so let's do a little bit of repetition. You know, the old like adage in marketing of, yeah, they have to hear about you. Every time that someone brings us up, the number changes. It used to be bigger. like, hear about you twice. And now it's thrice and seven times or however many people's attention. <laughs> I've always used seven to 10. I think that let's, let's just go to with that seven to 10, right? <laughs> yeah. I think as, as people's attention spans are getting smaller and smaller, like you have to get more and more, more and more hits True. in their brain. So we'll, I'll go with 10. I like your number. <laughs> so, so we do, we do tend to, to do uh, kind of onesie twosies, then we'll deploy more if we're seeing those returns. Now, if we, if we test one, or test a bunch, and we don't see a lot of landings, it could mean one of two things. Like one, maybe the audience isn't there, or it maybe is there, they just don't have a need for the service, right? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of use the landings as the first bellwether for like whether or not we see a forward path with the audience or with the creator. And then from there, if we see a lot of landings, but not a lot of conversions to trial, we're like, okay, there's an appetite there. Maybe we need to change some of the messaging on our landing pages. And so, so then we go deep into kind of conversion rate optimization and we're mm -hmm. able to, we're able to, to make some tweaks there. If we're seeing some appetite, but not a lot of conversion and, and vice versa, if they, they start a trial, but they don't convert to a paid customer. Okay. Maybe there's something in our messaging once we send the emails out that we can play with. And, and so we do a lot of that stuff on the back end, but it starts with finding shows to try. Yeah. Yeah. So, gosh, you, you put so much out there, so I would love to, to go through it. So let, let's just start with your customer base. So as you have, have communicated 
you don't necessarily just have one customer profile because your service can be purchased by many people. So when you think about trying to identify podcasts, are you specifically looking for genres of shows? Is is that where you start or where do you start your search? You know, it's interesting. So I have, I think you can tell that I tend to wax poetic a little bit. And so I have, it has changed over time and I can take you through that journey. So at the beginning, it was a lot of enthusiast folks uh, on the map Sure, side. which makes sense, and, right? Back in the day, like we were saying, early adopters, like, yeah. Yep, they, like they get it, they're there. And and at the time, we we didn't have much of a business offering. We, we It wasn't fully fleshed out. We, we launched that a couple of years later. But so it was really, targeted towards individual consumers, folks that we will one-to-one relationship. And maybe they had multiple computers or maybe their family had some, but it really was consumer focused. But over the years, we've moved up market quite heavily. And so now the way that we think about it kind of changes slightly. So one of the genres, you, you mentioned genres or niches, one of the one of the genres that we saw early success with was Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. So That's I'm a bit- interesting. That does not surprise me. Yeah. So like I, there's a show called Critical Role and I started watching it many years ago and I noticed that they weren't taking any advertisements. Like one of the things that I, I, I like, I maybe this is my marketing brain, but I'm like, there's a there's a there there. Like clearly there's me and 5,000 other people watching this live on Twitch, but but they're not doing any ad reads. Like, why is that? Let me give them some money. That was kind of my my thought process. And so I tried to get in contact with them and different than podcasts. This they're they're a, they're a video show. Subsequently, they've, they've now had podcasts as well, but we tried it and we saw just a ton of appetite and so we're like, wow, like, what is it about this audience that is so into the idea of computer backup? And it turns out like they just have a very broad audience set and everyone needs it. And they had really, really good dynamic ad reads that they would write into the show. And so again, though, those were all consumers. And so now as we move kind of in the middle and enterprise markets, we're looking for more business content backup shows where it's no longer one-to-one, it's kind of one-to-many, but right. everyone listens to podcasts, right? And so if we can catch an IT administrator or a decision maker at the right time and give them the benefits of our computer backup service for their organization, then that becomes a much more interesting prospect for us because companies tend to have a lot of a lot of employees, right? Mm-hmm. And so... It's less one-to-one now. And so we do think in terms, less in terms of genres, but more in terms of ideal customer profiles. And so right. we still have the consumers, love them. They they mm-hmm. love us. But increasingly, we're looking more towards IT admins, folks that are, we, we do really well in the in the K through 12 industry. Mm-hmm. So kind of higher education as well, because mm-hmm. they they tend to have a lot of laptops deployed. There's a lot of, there's a lot of researchers that are traveling around the world and and their laptops should be backed up. And so like we're we're fi- as we're finding out more about our our own customers and ICPs, we tend to look for shows that are kind of similar and that that what's the word that helps with some of our testing philosophy of where we think we might see some success. So fewer Dungeons Dragons shows now. However, <laughs> we're still investing quite a bit in the sponsorship side. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I have found that when you're trying to reach that C level person that they can be one of the most difficult to reach because like you said, yes, there are podcasts that try to target that group of people, but really we just get into what kind of content does this person consume? Are they listening to the news? Are they listening to money shows? Are they listening to business shows? Are they 
you know, like what are maybe some of their like, is it Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like what kind of hobbies do IT professionals have? But it can be really difficult to target that demo. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. And it's funny, guys, I was about to interject with like, or maybe they're listening to Dungeons and Dragons shows because right. they want to like turn their brain off and not yeah, listen to, right. to Disney things. And so it really is like there's no silver bullet for it. Like unfortunately, yeah. podcast and, and, and YouTube video show sponsorships. It's it's not like advertising on LinkedIn where you can say like, look, just be in front of this particular person 100% of the time. So anytime they open up LinkedIn, they see an ad for your, for your company. Um, but it goes into an account-based marketing approach that we are now starting to, to deploy as well, which is we, we have these podcasts and sponsorships. And it's like a, like a steady rat-tat-tat of like, regardless of where they're consuming stuff, like maybe we'll catch them on one of these shows. And then we have account-based marketing campaigns and ABM campaigns that are more targeted in places where they are likely to be in a decision-making mindset right. versus a just a consumption mindset. And so even though I'm, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit, because when I say that we're still direct response driven, it does help on the branding side just to be in people's ears like that. And so there is still some benefit there. And one of the things, I, I don't know if this is interesting for your audience, but one of the things that we've struggled with or had to calibrate over time is how much wiggle room we give to our podcast advertising ROI calculations. And I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. So if, if you go to backblaze.com slash Heather, don't do that. That's not a live link. But <laughs> uh, just as an example, I can track that because I know maybe I don't necessarily know how you found out about that. But odds are, if I give you a dedicated URL, it's coming from from your show, right? Or True Native. However, like, what is the number of people that just goes to Backblaze, right? Or how many people just Google it, right? And so calibrating on the on the percentage of people that you're willing to add as like a buffer has been an interesting kind of ROI calculation on our end. And it's something that we've had to change and adjust over time. And that's, that's been an interesting topic of conversation, even between myself and the CEO. And he's like, there's got to be like an extra four people for everyone that shows up. And I'm like, that's being like pretty aggressive. Like, I think it might be like half of a person. And so kind of yeah. calibrating that has been really, really amusing as the industry has changed as well. Oh, I bet. And I, but I think that especially when podcasts were so just promo page or, or a promo code or landing page driven, having that multiple is a really important thing to look at because absolutely hands down it is. And, and I, and I will say, yes, while Backblaze can easily get confused. It's it's also not so complicated that someone right. couldn't remember Backblaze and then yeah. go to the site. And sometimes I hear ads for these people where I'm like, who named your company? Like, I like your product, but I cannot for the life of me remember remember the name. And so I well, do think- company, companies that drop vowels too. Yes. Uh, right? So it oftentimes, so, so and like, but this is part of the like, I think that's part of that's the fun part about being a marketing professional is you're like, OK, where can we lose all of these people? And so if you're if, if you're Heather dot com, but you don't have an E and an A there and it's just H T H R dot com, like it maybe intuitively, if you see it on paper, it's Heather. But I would venture to guess that if you hear that on a podcast, I'm going to go to Google and be like. Heather with some kind of keyword based on the topic of the of the ad read. And I would go there to that landing page that ranks higher versus going directly to the thing that is trackable. And so right. like having the multiple conversation was always like a, just a very I remember when we had that insight for the first time was huge. And that was back in like 2014. Yeah. where We're like, well, 
like how many people do we really think are going out? And like, we were able to look at our like Google Analytics data and we're like, well, we're seeing spikes when we go on podcasts or when we're sponsoring mm -hmm. there. Don't necessarily like correlate them with anything other than, well, this podcast went live and we're getting some hits there, but also like generic traffic goes up a little bit. And so calibrating it was a fun endeavor. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I also think that it is so important to look at how all of your your advertising and marketing channels work together, because mm -hmm. I know we've been talking about podcasts as a direct response vehicle, and I'm glad that you're looking at it from that perspective, because there's a lot of research to prove that it can be a direct response vehicle. But I also think it's so important for us to realize that as advertisers, we're not just looking at podcasts, right? Like we're looking at podcasts and we're looking at all of the other channels that we're advertising on. And and if advertising and podcasts helps our other channels to perform better, then that can in and of itself bring the value that we need. And so obviously buying ads, marketing a business is, is a huge job just trying to figure out where you're going to see the returns. But I really, I love that you guys have committed to podcasts and that you see the value because you're able to really build on that. And I guess I'm curious, I love the multiples thing, but have you been using any other like lip studies or attribution pixel tracking or anything like that to help look at results? So not not as such. So we we have kind of like first party pixels on our website. And so we're able to mm -hmm. track people once they get in through the whole through the whole funnel. And then the the other thing that we do is we uh, on our purchase page or on our on our conversion pages, we have kind of a, you know, where did you hear about us? And mm -hmm. so some of it is a little alchemical where we're like, OK, they didn't come through this vector backblaze.com slash what have you. But but they are saying that kind of on the, you know, where did you hear about us page? And so not many folks fill that out. And so it's an, that's an imperfect science. But we have we've correlated it with Google Analytics, right? And so we, we don't have maybe direct attribution for 100% of the folks that are coming to the website. I don't know if anyone does. That would be, I would love Amazing. to talk to that person that's, <laughs> figured, that, that's figured that out. But but we are able to see, hey, this this show, for example, has a lot of reach or purported reach. So we also, we, we have, we discount sometimes when we get kind of audience numbers as well. So we try to find like a, a happy medium for our own analysis, but we say, Hey, the show is going to go live. And so let's look at the traffic when it goes live. In addition to the, to the landings, going back to our kind of initial hypotheses back in the day where we were able to see like large swings of movements and granted we get a lot more traffic now. And so it's a little bit more in the noise, but we can get pretty granular if our if we know when those things are going to mm -hmm. to be hitting, and then we're able to see okay maybe there's some kind of halo effect that that we can yeah. that we can see as well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. In terms of your buying cycles, um, because again you're a product that maybe doesn't have a ton of seasonality, do you tend to plan podcast ads out for? the year, you know, are you planning at the end of the year for the coming year or is it something you evaluate more on like a quarterly basis or an as opportunities arise? Like, like what is your strategy in terms of planning? 
So it it really depends on what networks we're working with and kind mm. of how every everything is 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 monetary now. So if we can get if we can get discounts by buying in advance, we will do that, and then we try to spread it out over the course of the over the course of the year. We do tend to my my guidance to my team is let's book what we can that we know will work. Let's also book like a couple of experiments per quarter that we are not sure that will work, and then we're going to evaluate. We evaluate every month mm-hmm. like what's working, what's not, what do we need to re up on. And so it's a constant rat-tat-tat of, of that type of purchasing. We have a yearly budget, and so we deploy it by quarter with some held over for anything that comes up that we want to double down on or or experiment with if something comes out of left field that we're like, ooh, that would be an interesting opportunity that we weren't thinking about. So yeah. that, that's how, how we ponder it throughout the year. Yeah, great. Now, when you think about challenges in this space, I know obviously we've talked about some of the changes that have happened throughout the year. But is there anything in particular that you feel like is a real challenge or any big holes, like perhaps metrics that are missing or things that you really feel like if this changed, it could make a big difference in your ability to buy podcast ads or your desire to buy them? Well, it's it's interesting, right? So because we do tend to be direct response, the biggest barrier is like, can I get people to do the thing? And then the question is, how many times do they have to hear from us in order to do the thing? And it, it varies just wildly from from show to show to show. And so one of the things that that like internally when we do talk, talk about this, I'm, I'm like, if you if you buy an ad for $1,000 and you sell two mattresses for $800 a piece, like good news, like that's, you did great because our price point is so much lower. Like I have to sell quite a few licenses, right? And so for me, it is a bit volumetric in that way. And so it's not so much that there's like data missing. It's just at what point do you reach a saturation in a market as well? So I mentioned a couple of times of how we ramp up into shows. We also have ramped down over time from some. And so like that kind of as a publicly traded company, like we have to be pretty judicious with with money expenditure, right? Otherwise, we're not a good steward of the investment. And so we've had shows where we would be on them once a month or twice a month for repetition's sake. And then when you see diminishing returns in terms of landings, you're like, okay, well, we're at the uh, at the saturation point for this particular audience. And so we need to come down a little bit. Now, if that show is growing still in terms of their audience base, that's an important vector to think about, which is like, okay, we have all of, we have everyone that we would have gotten today. However, like, let's go back a quarter from now and see if we can get the Delta. And so that, that is part of my overall thought process when when thinking through these is not just the ramp ups, but the ramp downs. And do you ramp all the way down to zero or do you get some of the new listeners if it is a growing show? And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, they're shows that have been around for for 10 years and they're it, it's a it's a, a almost a lifestyle business at that point. And maybe you have reached all the saturation. And so that 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 is another factor of of kind of what I'm thinking about. It's less it's less about the data so much and it's just kind of the the behavior patterns of of the individuals. Yeah. No, I totally see that and I agree with you. I think that we do overlook saturation points sometimes and your point I think is spot on. It depends so much on how fast an audience is growing because like let's just use some simple numbers. If we've got 100 people listening to the podcast, Let's say out of those 100, 10 people are going to buy your product. Well, once those 10 people buy your product, if we don't have another group of 100 coming in, who's going to buy it? And 
And yes, things do change in people's lives. Maybe they didn't have a need for your product. I, I will say I get frustrated sometimes when I see something advertised that I don't need. And then I something changes in my life and all of a sudden I do have a need. And then I yeah. go back to try to find that product and I can't. So I do yeah. think that sometimes there is something to be said for being in a place consistently. So <laughs> when the buyer is ready, you're there to remind them about the product. But I still do think there's a saturation point. And so it is so important that podcasts are growing and that our audiences are continuing to to be to be added to. But as we have more and more podcasts, I would say that growing an audience has become much more difficult than it used to be, just because there are so many podcasts out there. And we certainly have seen at True Native that some shows have stagnated a bit in terms of audience growth. So then we have to really look at, okay, what kind of effort needs to be put in to grow that audience? Because everything goes hand in hand. So I, it doesn't surprise me that you're looking at that. And I think it's an important way to plan your your to plan your your budget and to plan that return because it's not always going to be there. No, absolutely. I, like I, I think you're you're hitting on. It's interesting as as the podcast industry has grown and matured, right? It's also ROI driven, right? So, mm -hmm. like to your point, like how much effort do you put in to grow your the the particular show, and do you right? Like if it because it may it may not need to grow, right? Like if it's making decent revenue or if it. It, even if it isn't, if it, the person is just in it for the love of the game and they're just like, you know what, like, who cares? Like, the, yeah. you know, I do this I do this a couple of times a week and it, it's my mental health break and I get to chat about something I'm passionate about. Like, I'll do it for free. Back in the early days, like, it was interesting to capitalize on that, like, from my perspective as, yeah. as the advertiser. And so now, like, if people are thinking about it as this is like my job, I have to grow the audience, then th that's an important vector, right? Because then the saturation kind of will be delayed, right? But if not, then that that's just another vector to consider where like where you deploy where you deploy the funds. Yeah. And, and like to your point, like things change, right? So computer Mac app for a long time, I was like, my number one competitor is apathy. Like, so we do. Oh, we do. I this, could totally see that. I get 100%. a little sympathetic with my backups. Yeah. See, so every <laughs> year we do studies with Harris Interactive. So we do like statistically significant studies. We've been doing it for over a decade now. And it shows that like. Only like what I can't remember off the top of my head what the actual number is, but it's like 10 or 11, maybe it's 12% of people now are still backing up their computer on a daily basis, which on a daily basis, right? If you think about all the data that you create on a daily basis and you're only backing up your computer once a day or multiple times a day, 80, what, what's the remainder there? 88% of people might lose up to a day's worth of data at any right. given moment. And like, while that may not be catastrophic, like, it, it could be. And so oftentimes when people's like needs change or they go through a data loss event is when it kind of triggers yes. in that brain that like, OK, I, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Like, how do I how do I resolve this for the future? And the answer is often computer backup because it, it is a little bit like data insurance in that way. Mm -hmm. And so the repetition in the ads is is key. So I don't I, I don't discount it whole hog because it is uh, it does play a factor like how many times does someone have to hear something before they associate backblaze with computer backup or with cloud storage in our in our uh, growing business side so i'm curious i really do find that results for podcast ads can have a lot to do with the ad read mm -hmm. and obviously you're very passionate about what you do which is amazing but i could see it maybe being more of a difficult ad read, whereas maybe some host has gotten like a really cool 
actual physical item shipped to them where they're like, man, this is like the best new gadget. Like maybe it's something that the, the host can get a little bit more excited about. Backup isn't like that super sexy. Like, do you find it hard for the the host to do enthusiastic ad reads that really connect? Or maybe, but I think like what you just said is interesting because is it about like the that loss, like that fear of loss piece or like what really, what is that emotional connection for the audience? Yeah, it. this is a fascinating question that I think about all the time. I and bet. so <laughs> ho- hosts are so different, right? Like every, every individual uh, is an individual, hence the name. Uh, and so we actually, when we send out our ad read notes, we send it out in two different ways. We send one as like, if you just want to do a flat read of something, like this is verbatim what you should say. Or if you want to add some flavor, like these are the bullets and you should weave them in. And we absolutely prefer the latter because it adds more personality. It turns out the majority of people that are in a host chair in something that is technological have had a data loss event at some point. And so they have they have some interesting stories to tell or anecdotes at minimum, like of a hard drive crashing or like a laptop getting stolen or broken or cat spilled the Coca-Cola on it or like whatever it is. Right. And so those are the reads that tend to drive the most engagement, right? Because you're listening to the, and and I'm I'm not telling you anything new, right? Like you're listening to the host because you like what they have to say and you like their perspective on something. And so if they're talking passionately about something, you you have a higher degree of actually not tuning them out, I guess, right? Like, which is different than like actually doing what they say, because I I find a lot of times when I'm consuming podcasts and it gets to the ad read, like I am tempted, even though I'm in the I'm in the space, I, I tend to like my hand hovers over the fast forward button and I'm like, wait a second. OK, like let, let's actually listen to it. And oftentimes, like if it switches from a host to a pre-recorded read where it's like it's a flat, like it's the same read that goes across all of their different podcasts, then I'll fast forward because I'm like, that's not interesting. But if the host is doing it. And I'm like, OK, wait, actually, like maybe they have like a little sprinkle of something and it is a little bit more more interesting for me. So, like, I think about this all, all the time. And in our in our case, you're you're not wrong. Like computer backup is, is like insurance for your data. Right. I mentioned that uh, a little bit ago where it's like you should have it. But like unless you know that you need it or want it, like it's not necessarily top of mind for folks all the time. Yeah. And so that that adds to, I think, the dynamicism with the hosts that are like also can be made passionate about it. So that's probably why we got a lot of a lot of success with the enthusiast Mac press in the early days is they're like, oh, yeah, totally. Like things break all the time. Like hard drives are basically spinning rust, I think, is one of the things that people have called it. So like it'll fail. But the the way that I also think about it, too, is we we don't like to use a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt. So my vibe kind of as as the marketer is not very FUD driven. Like we're there to help. We're like, we would love to help prevent data loss for people. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't love to throw out a lot of like ca- catastrophic what if because that's not brand wise how I want people to associate our company. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I want it to be like, hey, we're there for you in case something happened. We're not there like telling you that disaster can strike at any minute. So make sure your computer is backed up like that. That is not our vibe, so to speak. And so uh-huh. it's it's another thing that I that I focus on quite a bit is making sure that we are we we let folks know gently that like, hey, this is a good idea, but we take them on the journey when they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. So I have one last question for you. Thanks. And I'm curious if you if you have an answer or if you don't, if that's fine, too. But is there anything 
in podcasting that would make you double down on your buy? So so what could we do as an industry where we're like, okay, yeah, if you spent $10,000 last year, we want you to spend 20 this year, or, or you spent 100, we want you to spend 200. Like what, what would make you double down on your podcast ads? I think the the because we're we're so focused on the re- investment return versus on the mm-hmm. brand building side. I think one of the in you see this on occasion, although it, it's becoming harder and harder to do, but kind of the 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 pixel tracking, right? Like if we know that, like, hey, the, the, a way to bridge, right? Like who's listening to who's actually coming to the website, because then you can catch all of the the bycatch, so to speak, mm-hmm. and like. People that are just going to the Google site, but you know that they listened. And that's a very hard problem to solve because for any pixel or like any tracking item that goes onto websites, the barrier for that is, is pretty high. Like we have a legal and compliance team that's like, what is this thing doing? Like what, it, you know, like what, what is it tracking? Like how, how is it tied <laughs> back to customer data? And so it's a tough question for me to answer because I think conceptually it's like, oh yeah, the answer is clear. Like if I can, if I can like track every single one of the listeners to like all the way through the funnel, like from listen to like from download on your end to like to, to acquisition listen. on your end. Right. Like how long did they listen? Like, did they bail before the first ad break? Like to acquisition on our end, like that, that's the panacea or like that's the dream. But it's it's so hard to do that from a practical perspective. And so the I guess to, to maybe answer your question more in, in less kind of flowery language, I suppose, like if there are more podcasts that are reaching people and they're growing and they are the the people that are consuming it are interested in the content enough to engage with the hosts like that that is where we see the the vast majority of our successful shows shine is is like those anecdotes from the hosts about their computer or their data loss event or why it's a good idea i remember we had one we sponsored a youtuber and uh he came to us because he had just had an apartment fire. He's just like, good news. Like everything's like all the data safe. Like I'm safe. Everything was, everything was okay. But he's like, I have a huge audience. Like I want them to know about this. Like, can we work together? And so some of it is, is almost in, in reverse. Like if there are these pockets or shows or people that are talking about things that are tangentially related, like those are, we may not always find them on our own as we're doing this, the, the analysis and the ROI kind of calculations on, on decks from, from networks. And so coming to us and being like, hey, we're spinning up this new show. We think get on the ground floor, right? Like it's going to be all about data disasters or whatever, like throwing that out there. Maybe not a good topic for a show. Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but things like that, where we just maybe don't have the exposure or are not as deeply ingrained into kind of the new goings on is helpful in lieu of a complete end to end attribution model, which may be a pipe dream. No, I I think that makes total sense. And, you know, at the end of the day, the value of podcast is this level of partnership and the connection between the host and the advertiser and the audience. And so really what I hear you saying is strengthening that connection is the best way to really create the results that you're looking for. Like for, for me specifically, right, I can only I can only sure. speak to, to kind of the direct attribution model where, you know, my my cost per user is relatively or cost per license is relatively low. Like I go back to that. You mentioned it and I go back to the I go back to the mattress thing where like oftentimes you were saying computer backups not very sexy. And I'm like the amount of times that I have said I wish I was just selling sneakers an office <laughs> is insurmountable. Yeah. Like, I had something physical like that isn't just like something that 
think about when things go wrong. Like I feel in my heart, like my life would be so much easier. Now, I know in reality that those people have the same exact problem, but just like from a different perspective, right? right. So there's no there's no panacea. No. But, I, but, it, but I do think about companies like ours that have a low kind of list price and it makes it even harder to, to show positive, positive return. And so getting the audience to be like, hey, actually, this is a thing you should think about for me personally, maybe not for others, is the thing that is the most important. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that with larger ticket items, the buying cycle is longer. So it's more difficult for people to make decisions when they're thousands plus dollars. And so talking to those folks, like you said, they they feel like they have the opposite problem because people have to think about their their purchase for so long. So yeah, there there is no panacea out there, but but it's fun to talk about how we can structure advertising and marketing to get the best return possible. And really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing that with us today. If folks want to connect with you or with Backblaze, where is a good place for them to find you? Yeah, so I'm on X, formerly known as Twitter, I think is the is the the full the full title. I'm Nev <laughs> P on all of the social media platforms. And similarly, you can find Backblaze, B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E on all of the platforms as well. We'd love to connect with you. And we have a subreddit. So if you want to come and chat with me directly, I'm constantly in there. We got about like a community of 7,000 people in there. Nice. Uh, so lots of healthy conversations. So find us there as well. It's uh, Backblaze. Awesome, Backblaze awesome. everywhere. Yevp everywhere. Perfect. Well, Yev, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I feel like you have really shared some interesting points with us today that are things we haven't talked about on the show so much. So I hope that you learned some things there. If you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, please head on over to YouTube. Look up Heather Osgood, where I like to talk about podcast advertising. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry.